we're all about we're all about grace and we're you know the gospel and but but what do you mean by a statement like you know unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven what, what do you what do you mean by that Jesus are you telling me, Jesus, that this is, this is impossible for me? The kingdom of heaven, you know, reaching the kingdom of heaven, being in heaven, being saved, being redeemed. Are you telling me that unless my righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes, I, I'm not going to make it? What, what do you mean? So today, today is going to be one of those days where we're like, ooh, this line between grace and law-keeping. Between grace and and law-keeping. Jesus says these words about the law and, and the king, law and his relationship to the law in the context of many misunderstandings about the law in Israel. He's speaking to his disciples, as we saw in the context even of the, the Beatitudes and, and the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to his disciples who have surely heard the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. They know the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. And they know the Pharisees and the scribes certainly had this great reputation of keeping the law, of protecting the law, being defenders of the law. And yet Jesus, in his ministry, has already begun to start to criticize the Pharisees. So what's going on? Is he opposed to the law? Is Jesus opposed to the law? Because he's because these so-called up, upholders of the law, he's criticizing them. Is he opposed to the law of Moses, the tradition of Israel, the teaching of the Old Testament? Is Jesus going to oppose himself to those things? Because he's already started to criticize the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus, so far, as we've walked through the, the Beatitudes and so far in the Sermon on the Mount, is, as I've said, giving this manifesto of what the kingdom looks like. He's telling his disciples, he's brought his disciples to himself, and he's telling them, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is how you behave in the kingdom of God. And so far, he's done that without even mentioning the law of God or the standards of behavior that are expected by the law. But now he's going to explain the rule, the standard of the kingdom, and what the kingdom's relationship is to the Old Testament. Jesus is going to give us his teaching on the place of the law in the Christian life. And that's important. We need to stop here and just say that because what we see from this place where it is, is that Jesus clearly thinks this is important. I have no doubt that Jesus in his ministry uh, and as he walked with his disciples would have known that there would have been people there, in the, in the disciples and in the multitudes, in fact, with their own struggles. Some of them perhaps had family struggles. Some of them were, were dealing with uh, children, struggling with their children. Some of them could have been struggling with their finances. Some of them could have been struggling in their marriages. Some of them could have been struggling with doubt or financial worries or whatever it may be. Jesus would have known that the people in front of him would have been struggling with a lot of things going on in their lives. And there's a lot of things going on in their hearts and in their minds. And Jesus knew that. And yet, 
Jesus chooses at this moment to talk about the law. And so he, he, he thinks it's important. It's not because Jesus is irrelevant and he doesn't care about the, the issues in the lives of the people that he's dealing with and the lives of the people that are in front of him. It's not that he doesn't want to deal with those, but, but, but he, he believes that in speaking about the law of God, that this will inform the way that these disciples live and the proper role of the law in the Scriptures and in the life of the follower of Jesus. And so, one of the things we first, the, the first thing we see here is that the Old Testament's commands and prophecies and promises are fulfilled in Christ and in His kingdom. That's the first real truth that we see here this morning, is that these prophecies, law, everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus and His kingdom. That's what he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I haven't come to do away with the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Jesus is teaching here that the Old Testament commands and the prophecies and the promises are fulfilled in Him and His kingdom. In other words, he's, he's saying that he came to establish them, not to abolish them. Jesus is telling us here that his relationship to the law in the Old Testament in general, what he's, what, he's showing us what it is. He uses the phrase, the law and the prophets. Good Jewish folk would have known as soon as Jesus said the law and the prophets, what he was talking about. That the first, four, first, first five books of the Scripture were law, the Torah. The writings and the prophets came after that. So basically what Jesus is saying here is that I have not come to abolish the Old Testament, but I have come to fulfill it and establish it. That's what I'm doing. Don't even think that I've come to abolish it. Don't be mistaken. Now, we pause here. Why in the world would someone have thought that Jesus came to abolish the law? Why would they even have been thinking that? Well, the reason they would have been thinking that is, as I said, Jesus has basically been busy criticizing the scribes and the Pharisees. And who were they? They were the ones, they were the, they were the, the bastions of the law, the keepers of the law, the defenders of the law. That was their job. They were the defenders of the Old Testament, and Jesus here criticizes them often. And people automatically then would have been thinking, well, if Jesus is criticizing the ones who are supposed to keep the law, is he criticizing the law itself? So Jesus says to this people who think that he is criticizing the law, he's not. Please understand that he is not. Christ's upcoming words, the words that he will say next, he's going to provide a series after this, a series of six contrasts. Six times he's going to say, you have heard it said. And he's going to quote the law, and then he's going to say, but I say to you. And instead of, instead of retracting from the law in those contrasts, he actually ups the bar. He ups the bar rather than doing away with the law. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, Jesus said. 
He is not anti-Old Testament. I am not, Jesus says, anti-moral law. Don't understand me to be saying that obedience to God's law doesn't matter anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. The law, Jesus says, continues to be valid. It continues to reveal God and show God for who He is. It shows His standards. It reveals who He is. It reveals our nature and it reveals who God is. And it continues to show us the nature of salvation because it teaches us And this is important that we remember this. It teaches us that we cannot be saved by law-keeping. The law shows us, demonstrates to us, that we can't be saved by keeping the law because it's impossible for us to do so. But the law continues to be, listen to this, the perfect rule of righteousness for Christian living. And once we've understood that principle, Once we understand that we cannot save ourselves by the law, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Once we understand that it is only by the grace of God that we are saved, then we are free to obey the law. We are not saved by it. But once we understand we are not saved by it, we are free then to live to be obedient to it. Let me quote those words that Marcus opened up with this morning so that we're sure. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's our only hope for salvation. And yet when we understand that, we are then free to live and obey the law. It is only through grace that we can begin to be what God intended us to be and to live the way that God intends us to live. See, Jesus fulfills the law. He says it here very clearly. That's what he came to do. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus in his life actively obeys the law of God on our behalf. He was perfectly righteous for us. He shows us the real meaning of the law in his obedience. He obeys obeys the law perfectly. His active obedience on our behalf and the fulfilling of the law becomes our very source of salvation. He fulfills the law in his death and in his life when he took our sin on himself. And we see him cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see what we ought to have been given ourselves. That's the gospel. Once we see Jesus on the cross and him being forsaken by the Father, we see what we should have got. And it is only by grace that we don't get that. And when we realize that it's only by grace that we don't get that, we are then free to obey the law. So, second thing to note here, a principle that is set down in verse 18, 
is the inspiration and authority of the Bible. The inspiration and authority of the Bible. Let me read these verses to you. For truly I, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In other words, Jesus is telling us here that he upholds the authority of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying in as many words, it is authoritative. You want to know what I, Jesus says, you want to know what I think about the Old Testament? I think the Old Testament is the Word of God. And I think it's authoritative. That's what he's saying. And you see, today, evangelicals, those who believe in the Word of God, those who stand on the Word of God, are often mocked or laughed at or accused of being just all sorts of things because we believe in the inspiration and authority of Scripture. But here's the thing. The reason we believe in the authority and in the inerrancy of Scripture, that there is no fault to be found, that, that it is from God, is because not because we believe that, it's because Jesus believed that. We believe it because He did. He says, not one dot or iota of the Lord's word, infallible word, will fall away or will, will go until it all is accomplished, until he returns, basically. Jesus himself affirms the authority of the word, and so should we. We believe in the authority and inerrancy of the word of God because Jesus did. And all that's going on in the world today, all the, the ways in which people are trying to fudge the Word of God or change the Word of God or did God really say that or did God really say this, we as believers in the church today need to stand on the Word of God and say we believe this to be true. And we can't fudge on it. We can't compromise on it. We can't move from it. As one of the old covenants say, it is our rule and authority for life. It is the infallible, inerrant word of God. And we affirm that, not because just we think so, but because Jesus thought so. So, Jesus teaches us here that the Old Testament moral law is a standard for Christian living. He says... Whoever then annuls one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom. The Lord Jesus had Pharisees surrounding him, saying, you and your followers belittle the law of God. That's what was going on. Jesus had these Pharisees and scribes around him, and they were accusing Jesus and his disciples of compromising on the law. You belittle it. And Jesus responds to them by saying, let me tell you this. In my kingdom, none of my shepherds belittle the Scriptures. None of my true disciples, none of my true shepherds will belittle the Scriptures. And what's more, not only do they preach the Scriptures, but they live the Scriptures, unlike you Pharisees and scribes, who say one thing and do something else. I, I read this week, right? This is going to be 
I, I don't know if you can remember this or maybe you, did, you heard it at the time, but I read this week of, on an article. Uh, we, can we just, I, hope there's, I don't know if there's many people from an Anglican background, in, but we, we do seem to be giving the Anglicans a proper bash in this last few weeks. It's not intentional, all right? Please just say it's not intentional. It just seems to be the way it is. Uh, I read an article this week from 2009, right? A church, a church of England bishop in 2009 had preached a sermon where he said this. Now, this may, this may shock you. I hope it does shock you. You need to shock you or I'd be worried. Uh, shoplifting is okay. No shock. All right, fair enough. You're all at it, right? Get that on. I was unaware. The milestone's been hit every single day of the week by you crowd. Oh, all right, that on. No bother. That's where Tom's all. That's where Tom Prophet's going. Using. Right. No. He said, shoplifting is okay in many circumstances. He said, if you're in a large department store owned by a large corporation, then it's okay to shoplift. Because after all, they're really cutting down their margins, hurting poor people, and they're simply money-grabbing large corporations that are running over people. So basically, fill your boots up. But if you're in a small store owned by a family, then shoplifting would be wrong. Now, there was an absolute outcry from the public when this bishop preached this sermon. In fact, it went so bad that the Home Secretary had to come out with a statement against the sermon in England. Now, what was that man doing? That man was undercutting the law of God. He was basically saying, it is perfectly fine to break one of the Ten Commandments. Just go ahead. You know, if it's a big corporation. It's not really hurting anybody. Tear away. That's not what God said. God said, do not steal. End of. Not, it depends who you're stealing from. There's no caveat just in the Ten Commandments where brackets, maybe in the message, maybe there's brackets, I don't know. But uh, there's no brackets saying, do not steal unless it's from a large corporation. It's just do not steal. That man was undercutting the law of God. This was supposed to be, this is supposed to be a shepherd, a bishop in the church. This is supposed to be someone who is standing on the Word of God and declaring the Word of God to be authoritative and true and right. And yet he was undercutting it. Jesus says, not me, Jesus says, he will be what? Called the least in the kingdom. He will be called the least in the kingdom. Because his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is a kingdom where God's moral principles are upheld. The followers of Jesus keep the law. Not perfectly. We'll always fall, we'll always fail. But God's law is there for a reason. 
It is there for man's flourishing. God's law is there for our flourishing. Not, sometimes we think when we think about the law, we think about being hemmed in. We think about control. We think about, you know, a loss of freedom. We think about all those things. But, but the reality is that God's law is there for our flourishing. Those boundaries have been set in place for our flourishing. You, you, you just have to look outside, and you see when people step outside those bounds, when you step outside those lines, what happens? Destruction and death and depravity and chaos. The law is there for our good. And Jesus here is saying, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to establish it to uphold it, to fulfill it perfectly in your place so that my righteousness is your righteousness and you can get saved through that. But yes, but once you've realized that, yes, you keep the law. Through the power of the Spirit, through my help, you endeavor to keep the law. Right. Now, John, all this talk about law and all this talk about obedience, will you not just turn us into a bunch of legalists? Well, is that not what's going to... Right, so John, you, you've stood up here now for... I don't think I've ever covered really the law before in, in any depth, but you've stood up here for nine years and you've talked about grace. You've talked about how the gospel is the only... We're only saved through Jesus, and, and that's true. And we, or his righteousness is our righteousness, and that's true. And, you know, we talk, grace, 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 that's true. And now you're telling us to be, we have to obey. What was, are you going to turn us into a bunch of legalists? Well, no, hopefully not. Let me, I want to I talk about legalism and what legalism actually is. Because we are all about the grace in Cornerstone Church. Let me just be clear. We are all about the grace. But we're all about the grace-driven effort to obey the law. You see, you see what we're doing? So, here's the thing about what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Jesus never says to the Pharisees, you care about the law too much. Never says that. Never says you care about the law too much. He never says, you can skim through the whole of the New Testament, and you'll never find Jesus say that you care about the law too much. You care about obedience too much. He'll never say that anywhere to the Pharisees. To the Pharisees, what he'll actually say is you don't care about the law enough. You don't care about the actual law enough. So what then, if that's the case, if Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, you don't care about the law enough actually, what then is legalism? Because there was no, no greater form of legalism than the Pharisees and the scribes. They would have been called the greatest legalists of all time. So what is legalism? Legalism comes in many shapes and forms. But I want to just mention a few so that we can sort of take something practical away from today. So, first of all, legalism is someone who teaches, or a legalist is someone who teaches that salvation is by works. That's a legalist. And that is legalism. If somebody tells you that you can be saved or you can be right with God through law keeping, that's wrong. And that's legalism. That's the first thing. They are a legalist by Jesus' definition. Secondly, legalism occurs 
when people attempt to add their own man-made rules and traditions to the authoritative Word of God. Man-made rules added to the Word of God take away from the authority of the Word of God and they are a manifestation of legalism. And we all, I guarantee you, I could ask you to come up one at a time and you could give me examples of that very thing. Adding to the Word of God. Man-made rules and traditions that aren't there. Let me give you an example. And I'm thinking on my feet, so this could go anyway, right? Let's just be clear. For example, in Cornerstone Church, if we were to say, right, well, do you know what? Because, because of our freedom in Christ, we demand, and one of our rules will be, that no one is allowed to wear a tie in Cornerstone Church. And if you wear a tie, then you'd be breaking one of our man-made rules. No. Is that in the Word of God? You're looking at me blankly here, because genuinely, do you not know? Seriously. No, it is not in the Word of God. Let me be clear. But you see how easily we could do that. Do you see how over time, even, right, this is something else, like even over time, things become traditions, things become rules, things become law all of a sudden. We used to, I used to, it used to be so funny when we used to swap the, the room around with the chairs, like face that way one way and face that way. People come in, they would freak out, don't know where to sit all of a sudden, don't know what to do ourselves because people like traditions and they like laws and they like rules. But all of a sudden, things become law, rules, traditions that are not in the Bible. And we need to be really careful that we don't add to Scripture. And as I say, I could give you loads. I would just be condemning people, and I don't want to do that. But I could give you loads where the church over the years has put stuff in where it's not there. It's just not there. That is legalism. Adding to Scripture. Third form of legalism is this. Grudging obedience. I don't really want to do it but I'm going to do it anyway, because I have to. I, don't, like, I know I have to, but I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm just not going to have any joy in it. I just don't want to do it. It's like, mm, not for me. You see, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They kept the laws, but there was no joy in keeping the law. They did it because they thought they had to, simply because they thought they had to. The Pharisees were the ones who were supposed to love the law. The scribes were supposed to be the ones who loved the law, found joy in the law. But it was grudging obedience. That's the same for, that, same for us. If we're just using God as some sort of like, if I do this, then you'll do this type exchange type thing that we do sometimes with God, then that's grudging obedience. We don't really love God at all. We love what He'll do for us if we are obedient to Him. See the difference? There's a massive difference between loving God and loving His law and obeying His law because of that rather than if I obey your law, I will get X, Y, or Z from you. There's a big difference. 
That's legalism. And finally, legalism occurs when people confuse the weightier and lesser matters of the law and give, give great attention to the lesser matters of the law while ignoring the weightier matters of the law. Let me be really, really bold, right? For example, if someone in a church, I, I know probably where this has happened, and this, like, so don't try to guess, all right? But say there was a serious moral failing in a church. Money embezzled, an affair happened, whatever. And that was covered over. But you were concerned about why the person wore a hat on a Sunday or not. You are confusing the law big time. You are focusing on lesser issues when you should be focusing on weightier issues. That's legalism at its finest. Confusing the weightier issues with the lesser issues, promoting the lesser issues right up there and making those the big things. That's legalism. And as I say, we're all tempted. I think there's something in the human heart that is all tempted towards legalism a wee bit. We like rules. We like boundaries. And so if we can get rules and we can get boundaries and we, we can do the thing, we can tick the box, then it'll be all right. Like it's very warm in here, right? It's very warm. And, and it, it could be 45 degrees outside, right? And I wasn't preaching a pair of shorts. Now, do you know what that is? Tell me what it is. It's legalism is what it is. That's all it is. It's legalism. It comes from me being a legalist where I think I couldn't wear shorts at the front preaching. It makes no sense at all. Does it say that anywhere in scriptures? No. No. You've just given me permission to preach in shorts. <laughs> Great job. Brilliant. That's really what I was lining up there all, all, all along. So, Good job, thank you. Uh, no, legalism is promoting the lesser over the more weighty things and confusing the two. Right. If we are to be a church, if we are to be people of Jesus, followers of Jesus, who know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, there's no other way of salvation. If we know that, and, and we live that out, and then we, we, through the power of the Spirit and knowledge of our, our salvation by grace, want to be obedient to the law, that has implications. That has serious implications. Let me just briefly show us some of the implications that that has, if I can find it here on my phone. It has implications because God has given us the law. And let me just read 10 of them. 
just so that we get started. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here's a biggie, and I have yet to get my head around this one. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. Jesus will go on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you are angry with your brother, you have already committed murder in your heart. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus will go on in the Sermon on the Mount to say, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. Right. How are we getting on? I would say, I would hazard a guess, right? I'm just going to hazard a guess. I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, verse 1, my, my favorite verse, right? Let's just be clear. But I would say none of us made it past one. None of us. You shall have no other gods before me. Not one of us made past one. So Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you don't have a shot. What does that mean for us? Well, that's the glorious good news of the gospel. The glorious good news of the gospel is that Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. We have one, we have a Savior who lived the life that you and I could not live. Jesus Christ, the man, Fulfilled perfectly, perfectly, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You shall honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. And he fulfilled it all perfectly for you and me. That is the good news of the gospel. And so that's why we can sit in here today and say, do you know what? Yes, I do not have a, have a righteousness that succeed, or, or exceeds the, that of the, the Pharisees and the scribes, but I do have a Savior who far exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes in my place. And he took my punishment on the cross for me to save me. And I'm in because of that, not because of the works that I will do. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. That's where we stand. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground, all other ground is sinking sand.
Praise be to God for King Jesus today and the grace that he has shown us in the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your grace. We do. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us, the mercy that you've given us in Jesus, and you've provided a, a perfect life in him in our place. Thank you so much. But Father, we pray that through the power of the Spirit and through the, the knowing that you've saved us through grace, I pray that this will, we will be a people. I will be a person. We will be a people who strive through grace-driven effort to be obedient to the law of God. Thank you for it. Thank you that it, it is for our flourishing and for our good. And we pray that we'll see that and we will obey you failingly as we will through grace and grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen.